the Dinosaur Man Nerdcast. I'm Andy Hughes. I'm here with Alex Hudson. Hello. I don't like it still. But if it's, it's long, too... then it's too long. So, Hello. Yeah. Punctuate it. Don't like it. Welcome, <laughs> Welcome to the episode. Welcome to a Wednesday episode of News and Reviews. I just don't know what people want from me anymore. <laughs> Hello, guys. Welcome to the episode of News and Reviews. Where we will talk news. I've just butchered that, haven't I? And, indeed, reviews. And today we'll be reviewing... Good films and a bad film. <laughs> which ones will be which? Uh, okay, Who knows? so uh, today's reviews are La La Land, uh, A Monster Calls, and The Bye Bye Man. I wonder which is which. Um, but first, as ever, we start with the news and today, little news pig. Why is it news pig? Why? <laughs> Alright, fine. I've made well, my Well, little news truffles, have you been snuffing out with your little piggy nose? Well, Vincent D'Onofrio has been in the papers. Oh, he's yeah. been in every film as well, apparently. Yeah, he's, he's in a lot of stuff coming out this year. Uh, Vincent D'Onofrio's had a little interview where he's claimed that Kingpin probably won't be making it into the films ever. Yeah, but this happens with a lot of them, like a lot of the TV actors. Um, like, um... The actors in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. have come out and gone, yeah, we probably won't appear. Because they, yeah, but that's they say justifiable. They say it's a facade that Marvel have this TV universe and this film universe that's interconnected, where actually no one's ever really crossed the boundary apart from Clark Gregg, who was in the films and then went to the TV. Mm. And Samuel L. Jackson's been in like one episode of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. But apart that, from that, yeah. oh, and also the one from 4, Lady Sif from 4. You know, but apart from that, there's no real crossover there. Mm. You know, you never see like, even a Hawkeye appear in a TV series. You can't afford the Renner. You can't afford <laughs> Renner's coin. But you see, you know... It's... But if, if there is one person who you would want to see cross over, it would be D'Onofrio in the sense that he's the only one who you feel like is a well-rounded villain. Right? Yeah, but what, what could he add to that movie universe? Well, this is exactly it. The problem is, here's my theory as to what has happened in this, okay? They wanted to do it, potentially, but then they realised that all the movie threats are huge aliens. Yeah. Kingpin ain't going to rival that. Well, Kingpin is a street-level king. Well, put it this way. Kingpin's terrorising New York. Iron Man blasts him in the face. Spider-Man blasts him in the face. Vision blasts him in the face. There's a lot of blasting in faces. Spider-Man's the one where you're like, okay, if he was going to make a jump into it, then that's the one he goes to because he is also a A Spider-Man villain. And Spider-Man is the only one of those where you're like, well, he doesn't really have the capability of stopping him outright. He has the capability of webbing him a bit. He could probably punch him in the face a little bit. But likewise, we've seen that Kingpin can punch people in the face as well. Yeah, he is. You know, he's tit for tat on that one. (laughs) And also Kingpin would trap Spider-Man's head in a car door. Yeah, this is true. Um, so basically what I'm thinking with this is it's a good thing that he's not going to make it into the movies because I think I'd like him less in the movies. But I also liked... Well, no, because he just wasn't given that much to do in the second series of Daredevil. No, he was in prison, wasn't he? I, the I bits guess, that he was in I guess we're cool. just going to see what happens this year with... Is he in? Are they doing another Daredevil this year? Daredevil's next year. It's because Defenders this year. Iron Fist and Defenders, right. Anyway, so I just thought I'd bring that up, that he has come out and said, it's probably not going to happen, yeah. I don't think they want But me. I think a lot of the TV stars are saying it, because they're like, Marvel, if we keep saying it to the press, prove, prove them wrong. And the, one, the, the tanning sign will be when we get to Infinity War, because it's such a wide-scale thing, if you even see glimpses of those heroes mm. and those villains. You know, whether you, if when Thanos arrives, you see a glimpse of, you know, 
Um, I was going to say Daredevil watching the TV, and I was like, no, no. <laughs> Can't do um, that. <laughs> listening to the radio, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, whether you see those heroes reacting to what's happening, yeah. and even if it's just a glimpse. If you don't get that, I don't think it's ever going to happen. No. Well, let's hope not. <laughs> I don't know what I don't know what position I was supposed to have taken on this one. Okay, uh, another news nugget I picked up. Mm-hmm. Oh, who's this going to be? Cable? Is it Pierce Brosnan, perchance? Uh, what? So Deadpool two starts shooting this summer. Uh, Ryan Reynolds has just had a meeting in which afterwards he tweeted uh, pictures or Instagrammed a picture of him, Hugh Jackman of Wolverine fame. You may have heard of him, who is rumored to have a cameo in. Deadpool 2, and Pierce Brosnan all sitting no. together. Perfect! He could be a villain. Could he now? I couldn't see Pierce Brosnan as Cable. Is Cable supposed to have a sense of humour? No. No. <laughs> in that case, there's no point in having Brosnan. You're wasting the sense of humour. Um, no, I just see Cable more... Like, Stephen Lang wanted to play Cable. No. And he's more physically suited to that character. I like Stephen Lang. <laughs> After what he did in Don't Breathe, he did mean things to a lady. <laughs> no, I just don't. I don't see. It. I imagine that Pierce Brosnan might be in it, but I reckon mm. he'd probably more likely play an adversary role. But we've just had a terrible British villain in Deadpool. Why would we have another terrible British villain? Because it's Brosnan. Oh no, he's not Brosnan. British. He's Irish. Sorry, my mistake. <laughs> Continue. Oh, um, but I like Brosnan. I, li- I really like Brosnan. He's my favourite Bond. Well then. There we are. Because he, he was my Bond. It's settled. So, he was also my Bond, but he's not my favourite Bond. Because he's not a particularly good Bond. I think he's great. Goldeneye's still the best Bond film ever made. Shut up. You're, you're welcome to your opinion, <laughs> no matter how wrong it is. Andy, you've been a news pig as well this um, week. Well, I, I had an article sent to me. Um, no, someone's getting sent press screenings. <laughs> well, te- weird way, that kind of links into the article. Okay. Um, basically, I got sent an article, and it's not really about films as such, it's about games. It was okay. it was part of a game media. And what happened was, there was a company called, let me just um, find out, I think it's Badfly Interactive. Yeah, the company was called Badfly Interactive, which is a small indie developer mm-hmm. who sent a copy of a game, a review code, to a studio who said, oh, can we get a copy of your game so we can review it? Yeah. And in this, they basically said... As a lot of these small studios do, um, understand that we are a small, small studio. We this game was created by like eleven people, mm-hmm. um, and a lot of people immediately get indie games and AAA games and compare them side by side. Yeah. So please keep in mind we're a small studio, which nothing wrong with that. The problem was afterwards the thing they wrote at the bottom was also we're working on several other games that are definitely interesting, and if your review or preview of Dead Effect Two is very negative. You won't receive any keys from us in the future. Right. So what they've basically done is gone, you need to give us a good review, or you will not get any review copies in the future going forwards. Right. And my question to you is, because obviously this, we know this happens. We know that mm-hmm. um, studios will hold companies to ransom um, over reviews. Yeah. And it happens in the games media, and I think it happens less publicly in the movie Movie universe. Mm. Nobody's held us to ransom over our reviews yet. They will soon. <laughs> One day soon. When, you, when we say Justice League uh, is the pinnacle of all no, movies, no, you no, know that we've been no, bought out. Never. Um, My silence cannot be bought. But, you know, it's it's known to happen. You know, it happened with Shadows of Mordor when that was created. 
Warner Brothers put a lot of stipulations on people who can show that game, you know, in like YouTube videos, but also the reviews. Mm. But they didn't need to because it was actually a fantastic game. But it also happened when um, Bethesda decided not to release any review copies for Doom, mm. which also turned out to be a really good game. But there are studios that put all these stipulations on companies. What's your feelings towards that? Like, in, in, do you're you... welcome to you know you're welcome to do whatever you want. To be honest, if people want to find out what the game is like, they will find reviews. Yeah, it doesn't matter where those reviews are buried; they will find them. So I think it it makes little to no odds. I think it's a it's a big blustering sort of showy thing for them to do and say, well, in order, I think it's a bit strange for a small scale developer to be saying, well, you know, you've got to give us a good review. Just say, you know, you don't have to review it. Yeah. Well, if that's you've what got, company... if you've got titles that you're more interested in them reviewing them. Well, the company it was out. sent to turn around and gone, well, we're just not going to review your game. Oh, well, that's fine. That's the best um, situation. But do you think it sets a dangerous precedent to then go, basically, if, if as a reviewer, you want to get your review out there early, because especially with say films, for example, mm. A film has a limited time it's in the cinema. Yeah. The best time to get your review out is while it's still fresh in there. Mm. And it's still time for people to go see it. So, if you're then told you can't review it in advance... Yeah. And then you have to go and see it when it's when it's open. Your review doesn't come out till later. Meaning that then those people who want a review before they go in... It really makes little to no odds, I think. I genuinely think, because as Batman vs Superman proved last year... Negative reviews do not negatively impact box office sales. I yeah. don't think you still you still make huge amounts of money on a bad film, despite the fact that there were overwhelmingly negative reviews for that film and Suicide Squad mm-hmm. as a secondary thing. But even even once without all that goodwill going in, you know, things like Gods of Egypt still made a lot of money because they're big tentpole movies and they want them to you know they push them out there and say right well here's our big thing. We'll throw as much yeah. money on the advertising. As long as you're advertising the thing as much as you can, then as a studio, you've really got nothing to worry about with bad reviews. So, you know, the, the ones that don't... The ones that have embargoes are the mm. ones that are truly, truly terrible. But sometimes there are ones that get embargoed that aren't terrible. And, you know, it makes it slightly... Different. Like Monster Trucks, I believe, was embargoed until the day it came yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. So... Stuff like that, where you know, okay, clearly the studio knows they're onto a hiding for no- hiding to nothing with this. Does it really make a difference for them? Probably mm. not. They they appreciated that Monster Trucks was going to lose the money, <laughs> and they wrote it off last year. Yeah. Whereas things like Batman versus Superman prove that negative reviews don't really have that much of an impact. They might have a small impact. They still made huge amounts of money, and it's you know it's not stopped yeah. the juggernaut that is going I to be the DCEU. It sets a dangerous problem though with the fact that you shouldn't be having to coax reviewers into your way of thinking. No, you know the the reason that you have reviews and the reason why people listen to reviews and read reviews and watch reviews is because you want an impartial opinion on what that is, yeah. and you know it, it makes things more interesting. For example, last week we disagreed on Assassin's Creed. Yeah. You know, that's the interesting stuff. You know, there's people who um, really like certain films. And really, like, there were people who came out and said, I really like Batman vs. Superman. There's people, and that's what makes things interesting. Mm. If Warner Brothers then paid everybody to say, Batman vs. Superman was amazing, you don't get that kind of colour shading. Yeah, in... I mean, I personally feel that if, if uh, in, in films certainly, there would be basically no examples of independent filmmakers going out and saying, you must give this a good review, because they don't have the option of saying, we're developing such and such and such and such. They go, this is my first film. You know, if you get reviewed at all as a first-time filmmaker, that's great. It doesn't matter if it's negative or positive. (laughs) You're still getting your name out there. 
So I think it's it's more important for independent filmmakers to just get their thing into the right person's hands. Studios have the clout to bully slightly and also to manipulate the way the reviews come out. Yeah. So, you know... But do you think it's dangerous to say, for example, um, we won't stay on this much longer, but say, for example, Warner Brothers turned around to you and went, okay, I want you to go see Batman vs Superman. You then review it badly, and they turn around and go, well, that's fine, You're not see- we're not inviting you to any more press screenings for... Warner Brothers film, so we're not inviting you to none of the superheroes, but also like the Harry Potter ones and mm. anything else Warner Brothers produce. Would you find that to be a problem? Well, it's only problematic in the sense that I can't do it as and when they come out. Uh, I have to do it as and when yeah. they come out rather than as and when the press screens happen. But you know what? If that's the price of telling the truth, then that's fine. I'm not someone who's going to go, oh, well, I really love Batman versus well, Superman because the... I want to see more Warner Brothers well, that's films. That's the way early. I look at um, games media, where I was speaking to Mark about this earlier, where I said to him, with games, I feel that because there's a lot longer shelf life, if you're somebody who wants to read a review beforehand, just wait till it comes out. Yeah. Wait till it comes out, because then the people who are impartial and weren't allowed to see a review copy will be able to review it afterwards. Yeah, and they and they will give an honest opinion. Yeah, the, and if you, could if you have trusted sources where you go, I you go to the, these certain review yeah. channels, if they're on YouTube or whatever, for their, for their content, if you go to those and you go, right, okay, they will eventually get around to doing it, you know, yeah, whether yeah. it's a week after the release or whatever. It and still just, gets if you just wait a week, then you'll get a good opinion from. And it might have gone down interest. in price. Who knows? <laughs> um, but we'll leave that. I just thought it was really interesting because, like I said, it was sent to me, and I was interested to speak to you about it. And go, what are your opinions? Because it is, it is a very shady market that mm. area, and it's just a very interesting thing that somebody has so blatantly gone. This is. I think the games industry <laughs> sort of breeds that a little yeah. bit more as well. I think it's something that doesn't trouble the the film industry as much. But it's interesting to see the the sort of parallels that you can draw. Yeah. Should we get into reviews, though? Yeah, let's go on. Um, So this week uh, saw the release, last week rather, saw the release of one of the big Oscar contenders for the year. Uh, It's getting... TMNT 2. It's back again. Re-released for your consideration. Uh, No, so uh, La La Land swept the uh, Golden Globes. It's now set the record for the most Golden Globes uh, for any one film. What... Do we like about it? Do we like it? Is it good? So, La La, La Land, if you want to just basically explain Let's me. give the premise. Okay, so um, the premise is, do you want me to do it or you to do it? Yeah, that guy. You go for it then. Um, La La Land is all about a struggling jazz musician and a struggling actor in Los Angeles who are both trying to achieve their dreams, played by Emma Stone as the actress and obviously Ryan Gosling as the jazz pianist. Um, both trying to find their way within the city. And it's kind of a throwback to those musicals of old. Um, what would you say, like 1950s sort of musicals? That kind of... Yeah, well, it's essentially a film about Hollywood, and it certainly feels like a very old sort yeah. of big big Hollywood musical. But it's set in the modern day, mm-hmm. um, which is really nice. And it's basically the story of how they meet and their relationship and how that blossoms within the struggles of trying to find your place in this city. Yeah, um, That's basically the premise, isn't it? Mm, yeah, I mean, it's... It... It's the follow-up to Whiplash from Damien Chazelle, which we really loved and, you know, is a fantastic piece of filmmaking um, Mm. that really put him on the map as being an an exciting new voice. Uh, I love this film. I really love it. Uh, I think it's it's really beautiful. It's, I mean, the cinematography is just beautiful. I mean, you know, the the waste of a night scene. Yeah. 
with the with the moonlight over there and the sun coming up. It's just beautiful. <laughs> like a know. lantern in the background. And it, it looks so beautiful. You think it's green screened, but yeah. it's, it's a real, it's real thing. And you think that's that's what I love about this film is that everything about it feels very rich and vibrant and vivid and so sort of um, yeah. bold that it's it's embracing the fact that it is this big musical number that mm. it's this big well huge you go from you go from story. the first scene where the first scene they shut down an entire piece of uh, freeway in mm. LA to film a whole musical dance number yeah um, and you go it's all done in pretty pretty long takes all these dances yeah and it's and that stuff. kind of thing where you're like I don't know if it is a single take but I'm willing to give it to them that it's remarkably yeah. impressive doesn't matter if it is a single and take and I, I watched something where Damien Chazelle said he planned that entire shoot using his mobile mm. and a um, park lot, parking lot at one of the studios and it's um, it's an amazing film to watch and you know it is a really nice throwback and I, I said this to you and uh, Paul when we mm. came after watching it, which was, um, I find Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling innately watchable people. Yeah. Whenever they're on screen, I can watch them, and I I always find myself caring about their characters and wanting their characters to do well, which really suits the story because not only have they worked bef- worked together before, so they've got already a really nice connection, but also you want their their characters to do well in this, and sure. that's kind of the onus of the story. It's two people trying to find a way. So you want those characters to actually succeed in what they're trying to do. Yes. Um, I found it fantastic. I really enjoyed this. Mm. And I'm already debating going back to watch it again. Mm. It's, I mean, I think one of the key things is the music works. The songs mm. are really catchy. They've got a great sort of feel to them. You've got a nice mix of stuff. So you've got the upbeat stuff. You've got the sort of bittersweet stuff. And it all comes together to work really well. Yeah. Uh, and I think you know Justin. I think it's Justin Hurwitz who did the uh, score, wasn't it? Yeah, he, you know, great, great work on. Yes, yeah, like I've listened to the soundtrack multiple times since oh, watching yeah. it. Like there's certain songs as well that really stick out, like like the Wonderful Night one, but also and um, someone in the crowd is yeah. a really great upbeat song. But also they did really well at making it so they made it so you know we know Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone aren't professional kind of musicians and dancers you know they're actors yeah so it's not flawless big sort of intricate movements there's a lot of stuff where it's quite basic stuff but you're like i believe in this more than i necessarily would and it's rare to think that when you're when you're watching a musical where you've already suspended your disbelief to the point where you're like okay they're gonna break out into song i understand there's the criticisms of some people where they say you know when it first starts you're kind of like what is this I've walked... Because when it first started, I was like, this is a bit much mm. to start off with. You know, it starts with this huge musical number and you're like, okay, what what have I what have I come into? But as soon as you settle into it, I feel like... I, I really enjoyed the first number, don't get me wrong, but it took me by surprise for those first couple of seconds. I was just, what? What is going on? Mm. But as soon as I settled into it, I was engrossed. I, I think the... Not only is the cinematography, cinematography amazing, I think the storytelling is amazing. And I think it also ends in the right way. And obviously we won't go into what the ending is, no, but, it, I, but it ends perfectly I, I for that story. that's the correct way to end it. And I think thematically it does share a lot with Whiplash in the sense of being primarily about compromise and hmm. whether that's a good or a bad thing and whether compromise can hold you back from your dreams and whether that's the that's the way to go with it or whether you should go another way. So um, I think, you know, it's it's reaffirmed Damien Chazelle as being a really great writer yeah, and, and director. Yeah, and it's such a different visual beast 
to what Whiplash was. It's amazing. Mm. You know, visually, it's completely different to what that story was. Whiplash was quite self-contained mm. and quite Very intense. Very film, yeah. Um, this is big. This is big. It's, it's huge and grandiose. And it's but ultimately, it's a, it's a small film about two characters. Yeah. But the thing is, every time there was like a song or anything, I couldn't help but smile at yeah. this. I really couldn't. Um, it's a it's a really great way to spend two hours because you will be grinning from ear ab- to ear. Absolutely, and I wholeheartedly recommend you go and watch this film. Get down um, to it. Watch it in the cinema as well. It's still out for for a little while. Go cinema and watch this because I think it benefits from that huge display. Certainly, yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, let's move on, shall we, to our second film this week? Uh, a monster calls came out uh, a couple of weeks ago. In fact, New Year's Day, I think it yeah. was just just as the New Year came. Um, so it's based on a novel that was written based on a, an idea yeah, from someone else. It was um, written by um, somebody then. I think it's Pat Ness finished off the book. Yeah, so he he wrote the he wrote the book. Itself, I think whoever was writing it the first and then wrote the screenplay for the film as well. Uh, directed by J. A. Biona, who did uh, The Impossible and is doing the forthcoming Jurassic World two. I yeah. believe. Uh, tells the story of a young boy growing up having to deal with. Um, coming to terms with grief and uh, how to process very complex emotions that yeah. a, a child of that age shouldn't really have to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, what did you think? Well, before going into this, all I knew was Liam Neeson was a tree. Yeah. That's basically all I knew. Which is not really what you want to go into this yeah. with. Well, maybe it is, well, I guess. I didn't realise this film would be so heavy. Mm. Um, and it was... Like, for about half of this film, I was welling up. Um, like, it is heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, it's incredibly captured. Like, this is one of the first times in a while I've seen a film with a kind of TV show opening credits. I don't know why that's important, but it was quite interesting. Mm. But it, was, it reminded me of, like, Diagnosis Murder or something. Um, but I think it's wonderfully filmed. Um, I think it's quite small scale. But then you have this huge um, kind of CGI monster in it. Um but I thought the tale that it was telling was was beautiful yet heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, and like I said, it it, it was harrowing. Mm. Like for about half of this film, I was. And the thing is, I've <laughs> I've injured my ankle at the moment, uh, so I've got quite a limp on me. So I came out of this film and my eyes were still filled with tears, you know, kind of just bubbling on the surface. And I'm limping down the road, and people are staring at me as if I've just been beaten up. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, people are definitely staring at they're, me. They're connecting the two when they really shouldn't they're, need they're to. They're just going, that guy, something's happened to that guy. <laughs> and they're like, no, no, it was a tree, it was a tree. Uh, no, I think it's I think it's a really beautifully shot film. I think the performance, particularly from Lewis McDougall, who plays the child, mm. I mean, is just incredible. Uh, uh, it's so difficult to get that, that performance right, I think. And he absolutely nails it for me. I think he's, you know, it is one of the performances of the year so far. Hmm. I mean, it's only January, but still, I won't be surprised if he's sort of, it's still in my mind at the end of the year, thinking about the performances that really captured something. Uh, But you're right, you know, it's a devastating but sort of uplifting film at the same time. And Hmm. it's got this real magical quality about it in the the way that the best sort of fairy tales do. It does remind me of Pan's Labyrinth. It does remind me of uh, sort of coming of age film. Which is ultimately what Pan's Labyrinth is. So it's it's got all the stuff I really like about fairy tale type movies, and I think it does a really great job of capturing. It that. all works so well together as well. Because mm. there are parts of the film where, it, as it goes through, you're like, I'm not sure how this links. Uh, but when it gets to the end, I'm thinking, yeah, I understand it. And the thing is, as it got towards the end, I knew what was going to happen. Yeah. 
and I was hoping it didn't, but I, it was that kind of, it was this really weird kind of acceptance that you had to make during the film where I knew what the ending was going to be, mm-hmm. but I didn't want it to be that. I the, wanted I wanted to be able to influence yeah. the screen and to be like, no, don't do that. I think the scene at the uh, train track, I think if you if you hear that and you know what it is, like I think that for me is one of those key moments in that film mm. where I mean, I was in tears by that point and I kept on crying. You know, I'm a cinema crowd. We know this, but it's 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 really touched me, and it's it's such an affecting film. And I think you know you you should get to see it if you can. I think it'll still be in for yeah. a couple of weeks, maybe. Maybe it'll hopefully still be around, and if not in bigger ones, hopefully they'll it'll stay in the smaller ones. Mm. Um, but yeah, I re- really really enjoyed it. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, so let's move on to the final film of the week. Which is the film you've only seen. Yeah, I mean, I it's, it's, it's a film that I never expected you to see. It's a horror film, and um, January is a tricky time for films in general because you know you don't get to see huge, big ones apart from the Oscar ones. You don't really get to see the the quality of film you want to see necessarily, other than the ones that came out in December in the yeah. states. But one that came out in January in the states and here in the US, in the UK, we're not in the US, <laughs> was the Bye Bye Man. Now. Uh, Tell me I, about the bye bye. Look, man. I, I knew it was going to be bad. Yeah, it's just a case of how bad it is. Okay, so I'll give you the setup. Okay, I've written a whole thing where I kind of want to just work through because I want to make sure I cover every angle. Okay, here. okay. So the setup for it is three soon-to-be corpses move like miles away from a university, <laughs> com- presumably because they want their living situation to be less convenient than it was in halls. Right? Yeah, yeah. So they, they're, they're living in this university town. They move out to the sticks because they need to get their Because they pace. knew they were in a horror film. But yeah, but the problem is, right, number one, it's played... Uh, so the three corpses are the main, ca- the main character. Don't know his name. I, I think it might be Alex. I, I can't remember. Okay, so the main character, his girlfriend, and then his best friend, who's just going to live with them because they need the extra cash in order to afford this place. Yeah. Get a cheaper place. <laughs> There's your first problem. So the place turns out to be haunted. Well, sort of. There are noises, and not everyone hears the noises, and some people do hear the noises, and some people don't hear the noises. Basilisk. Exactly. Basilisk in the pipes. But we do find out what's causing this. But we don't, because it doesn't really explain it properly. (laughs) So uh, our main soon-to-be corpse finds a drawer in a nightstand that has the words, Don't think it, don't say it written spiralling inwards mm-hmm. to a little tiny circle in the middle and then he peels back this paper that's lining the uh, drawer and underneath, scratched into uh, the wood, is the bye-bye man. For no reason whatsoever, because if the rules of this are don't think it and don't say it, otherwise he will come you for you. You can write it. But you can't. This is the problem. Because he exists in ink and in scratched names. <laughs> Genuinely true. <laughs> Okay, so, look, the problem, the problem for me, they're drawn basically then into an investigation into the Bye Bye Man and the history Mm. and origins of it. And you sort of get a bit of that, but actually you don't, because you start off with the flashbacks in 1969, where you see a man killing people so that they can't tell more people about the Bye Bye Man. Mm -hmm. But the problem for me is, we find out where he found out from, but we don't go back into the his. We don't have a definite origin point, That's which is by man too. This is the problem. Origin. This is the problem for me. It is lazy. 
but it's lazy in a way that surpasses the laziness of most horror films, right? Most horror films are lazy affairs. But they're lazy affairs that have the good decency to explain what's going on within them. Sometimes too much. Yeah. But they explain it. So you understand where you are and what the rules are of this game. I have no idea what the rules of the Bye Bye Man are, because the film clearly has no regard for that either. <laughs> Regardless of the quality of things like Leprechaun and stuff like that, you know what the Leprechaun does, and you know why he does it. He steals his gold, he comes and get, kills you to get back. Precisely. The Bye Bye Man doesn't bother getting bogged down by that kind of detail. Um, I say detail. Bare minimum detail. Even within the film... There is laziness that is thrown at you, but you're supposed to just swallow willingly. He uses a search engine in the library. Guess what the search engine is called? Bye-bye searches. It's just called search. <laughs> he goes to the search engine, search, to find out more about it. So the thing is, if you can't even get Bing on board, then you know you're exactly. failing as a film. So by the end of the film, all we know about the Bye-bye man is that he can trick people and is the reason why people do evil things. And at one point it is stated that he is the reason behind all evil things in the world. Which is a really <laughs> big claim when you consider some of the evil shit that's gone on. Like, does that involve, like, petty theft? I guess so. It's the stuff that can't be explained, they say. Okay. So they're like, oh, what makes people do the really evil stuff? The stuff where you're like, whoa, how could they do that? Like stealing a pack of chewits. Exactly. Chewits, Pepper Army, and Space Invaders. It's like, hey, oh, why, why do you do it? And then you look outside and you're just giving the bye-bye man a pack of Space Invaders. Like, you made me do it! Right, the one notable thing about the appearance of the bye-bye man, you need an iconic villain yep. in horror films, you'd say. You know, Freddy, Jason, uh, Michael Myers, someone like that. The bye-bye man, if he is to turn himself into a franchise, all he has at the moment is that he presents himself in the manner of Donald Sutherland in the remake of Invasion of the Body Snatchers, <laughs> where he just puts his hand outstretched out and points at you. Doesn't pull the face, sadly, oh. but he, he just points. At one point, he's just living in a coat stand. In fact, for the, enti- <laughs> for the entire film, he's living in a coat stand, and I'm not sure it's even the guy's coat. <laughs> so, look, the weird, the, like, the other weird thing about this film is that about two thirds into this film, Faye Dunaway pops up. Faye Dunaway, who did uh, Bonnie and Clyde, yeah. Network, and Chinatown, you know, Oscar, and you think. How and why is it? Why is it Faye Dunaway's turn to be in the bad horror film now? Everyone gets one. Everyone seems to get one, but I did not expect this one to have anyone in it because I just thought, oh well, it's fine. It's got the ex-girlfriend of Prince Harry playing the girlfriend, and that's pretty much it. Okay. Oh, and Doug Jones Carrie playing Moss. Bye Bye Man. Carrie Ann Moss, who pops up in one scene and then another scene. Although the trailer definitely makes seconds. it seem like she's in it a lot. The trailer is very clever because it makes it seem a lot less shit than it is, but it does seem very shit. I've watched that that trailer, trailer. and that trailer looks makes it look like the most stupid film I've ever seen. Oh, nerve! Better watch out because this is rivaling it at the moment for the stupidest film ever made. Because in a horror film, I expect one thing: it's to know what the rules of this horror film are. And in this in Wild Wild West of the Bye Bye Man, there are no rules. (laughs) Do not see the Bye Bye Man. Yeah. <laughs> don't. Don't think it, don't say it. Don't see it. <laughs> don't do all of it. So, 
Would not recommend. La La Land's great though, La La and, and so is A Monster Call. So I'm, so, I'm so a little bit happy. See two good films. Jesus, it's just stupid. Like I didn't expect anything from it. Like, but it, it's allowed me to cement now in January, the second week of January, my worst film of 2017. I, I have no doubt. Don't in my think mind, it. Don't nothing. say it's a stupid rule set because to not to remind yourself not to think about it or not to say it, you're going to have to be thinking about but that's it. The and problem. Therefore, you. Exactly, and he picks up on this, so it kind of it kind like, of picks up on that. I explain, when we watched the trailer, I explained this to you as um, a bit like the game, mm-hmm. where if you remember the game, you've lost it. By the way, guys, you've just lost the game. Um, <laughs> there are fourteen-year-olds in two thousand and five who are just absolutely <laughs> screaming at you now. But you know, it's that it's that sort of thing of you know, as soon as you think about the game, you've lost the game. But to forget about the game for a while, you have to think about the game. Yeah. Um, so you know, there's no way of getting around it. One anyway. begat the other. Yeah. I think that's where we're going to have to leave it, fortunately. Thank goodness. <laughs> fortunately. Uh, like I said, there are a couple of really great films out at the moment, and then there's The Bye Bye Man. Um, so do check out, especially um, La La Land, I think. You know, I really enjoyed it. And The Monster Calls is great as well. But La La Land, I think, deserves to be seen on that big screen. Mm. And it's out at the moment, and there's a reason why it's getting a lot of buzz. Um, where can they find us, Alex? So you can find us on Facebook. Uh, no, I've said that the wrong way round. What it is, is I was thinking about the bye-bye man, and I'm not supposed to. Okay, so... Don't tweet it, don't post it, don't tweet it, don't post it. In that case, do not, because that is word-of-mouth advertising for them. So, uh, you can find us on iTunes, on Stitcher, and on Buzzsprout. Uh, you can also find our Facebook page, which is the Dinosaur Man Nerdcast. We can be found on Twitter, at Man 15 If you're going to subscribe, rate, and comment, you can do that at all those sources. And, you know, just get back in touch with us and tell us what you thought of La La Land. If you saw the Bye Bye Man, keep your opinions to yourself. Because <laughs> I do not want to hear any more on it, regardless of how negative it is. Uh, as always, we'd like to thank John Neves for as the theme song, and Andy, thank you very much for hosting. It's okay, thank you, Alex. You're welcome. Until next time. Don't think it, don't say it, 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 and definitely don't see it. The bye-bye man. Out now. Oh.